0: Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 27. We're happy to announce that we are officially more than halfway through a full year of episodes. We're very excited about that with this being episode 27. We look forward to another half a year of episodes and beyond to infinity. Nope, and 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 never mind that. <laughs> nope. Um <laughs>
1: You weren't <laughs> quoting Toy Story? That's all I think it was. I started
0: heading beyond. towards Toy Story and had immediate regrets. Not that <laughs> I don't like Toy Story. just, just I more never of a,
1: recovered from that childhood phrase.
0: Just more of a Tom Hanks fan than a, than a Tim Allen fan. Anyways. Okay. Anyways. Now I feel bad for bashing Tim Allen. I love Tim Allen, guys. Tim Allen's great. I never saw Home Improvement, so don't ask me about it. Okay. Last few episodes, we've been talking about the events of the last few weeks. Once again, we're going to talk about that because, as always, because once again, there's more ramifications that we have yet to discuss that we think are incredibly important. The ramification we want to talk about right now, though, is a a little bit longer term because there have been some short-term effects. We want to talk about the future of the GOP because that is a long-term effect that is going to have ramifications for years to come but everyone's so caught up in these short-term effects that we're not really focusing on on that aspect of it. You know, we're focusing on a lot of the free speech implications, you know, associated with big tech. We're looking at Biden's uh executive actions as well as his legislative plans for the new Congress as they use their razor-thin majority to try and get some things done and to see whether or not they're actually able to get those things done, how many things they're going to get done. Those are all substantial short-term effects. You know, we're also looking towards the midterm election. Normally, when you have the White House, you tend to lose seats in the midterm election. Not always, but it's kind of a general trend. And we're wondering if that trend is going to shift this time because of what's happened the last few weeks. That's going to be very interesting to see. So what we're talking about here is long-term effect of the way power transitioned this election with the riots, with Trump having a very hard time uh, with the with the results of the election, with his supporters having a very hard time with it, and with him being banned from from Twitter, from Facebook. All of these things have painted a picture that's going to have a long-term effect. The picture they've painted is... The Trump supporters and the, the Trump part of the GOP as being basically a boogeyman, and it provides this common enemy for the left that the left is going to try and rally against In the going years, they're going to try and get as much political capital out of this they possibly can, because who wouldn't? Why wouldn't you want to get the most political capital you can? And that's going to affect the elections because the GOP has to come back from this, and they're going to have a hard time coming back from this.
1: Yeah, and you can see that Biden is well aware of how to sell the return to normalcy to the highest degree, where they're they're making announcements about mundane things because it's normal. Because, like, we're going to do press releases every day like normal. We're going to do you know, these kind of things that no one cares about except in contrast.
0: Yes. Biden is not just trying to, to show that he's a normal president. He's also making it very clear to point out that he's a normal president, unlike another president you may know. You know, <laughs> and that's and that's what the left is doing. You know, Biden's talking about uniting the country and as he's talking about it, he's kind of trying to jab the right, saying, "You guys didn't unite the country, but I will." You know, so there's this common enemy that the left is is using for political gain.
1: One of my one of my favorite videos I've seen this week was a was reporters discussing whether or not in the inauguration speech Biden should say Trump's name, or if they should just acknowledge that there was a thing, but the thing is over, but not <laughs> say the thing was Trump, and just like this, this is the kind of. <laughs> the kind of posturing that we'll, be, we'll we'll get for a little while here as they try and go forward.
0: But really, in terms of Biden and the left going forward, what they're going to do is, is similar to what they've done in the past. They're going to try and get as much done, trying to gain as much leverage, as much political capital as they can. But it's not really going to change anything that they're going to do because they're in power. You know, this is their time to get things done. So the question is, is what's going to happen for the GOP? Because now the GOP is not in power. The GOP is in a tenuous position. How are they going to get out of it? So first, let's explain why the GOP position is tenuous. Because there's, there's a number of reasons. The main reason, though, is that the party is now fractured. The party has fractured into two main camps. And those camps are the Trump faction and the non-Trump faction. So first, what's going to happen to the Trump faction? The Trump faction is more pissed off than ever. And that is only going to marginalize them even more. Because now you've got a group of people who believe that not only was this election fraudulent, but the storming of the Capitol wasn't really by Trump supporters and and was a scam by the left. And that's going to push them even farther away, not just from the left, but from the GOP. And there was a large portion of the GOP who, even before the election, was already done with Trump. Right. And so they're going to be looking for Trump 2.0. And if they're really confident, they may try and push for Trump 1.0. But most likely... <laughs> They're going to be looking for Trump 2.0, a candidate and candidates who exemplify what they believe in, and that means someone who's incredibly anti-establishment, and who's very strong, and who isn't going to back down, and who has really any political beliefs. Those aren't really important. What's important is that they are not part of the establishment, they're not part of the, of the the good old boys, in the GOP, but are something different, right? Right. And then you've got the non-Trump faction, or the anti-Trump faction, depending on how you look at it. And these are the Republicans who had been drifting away from Trump over the last four years, and then with the events of the last few weeks are so done with Trump, they can't even express to you how done they are with Trump. These are people who are like, yeah, I wish I had voted for Biden now.
1: Right, even though they, as you said, most of them probably voted for Trump in the end, they've they got exactly, a nine, but
0: and they're and they're starting to regret that, and so what they're going to want is a candidate for president in four years who's as far distant from Trump as they can get. You know, they're going to want someone who's incredibly professional. They're going to want candidates who are more moderate. You know, they don't want any kind of extremism because they're going to have a push against anything that's associated with Donald Trump. They want a normal candidate, you know, and that's what they're going to be pushing for. The problem is, is that these two factions are not going to get along to the point that they're not going to be able to come together to stand behind either of those candidates.
1: You always see this dynamic to some degree, the outsiders versus the insiders, the political veterans versus the businessmen who are coming in. But it's never been the primary divide. It's never been the thing that mattered the most. It's never been the thing that determined the vote. That was always just an up or a down depending on how they were able to to present it. And you can't reconcile these desires. You can't reconcile someone who wants Trump 2.0 and someone who wants not Trump. There's no middle ground there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't get the professional, experienced, diplomatic politician and the guy who's going to fight and is going to refuse to be politically correct and is going to trash even the GOP if he needs to, even the Republican Party if he needs to, as he tries to as he tries to get in there. These factions might as well be different parties. Yeah there's, there's just no no middle ground. I mean, just try and imagine for a minute that the, the candidate that could pull both together, who could please someone who thinks that Trump is the greatest thing that's happened and was robbed and is an outsider, but could also be diplomatic and be a return to normalcy Republican candidate. It, it's just, this doesn't work. You can't burn it down and maintain it. In four years, whichever candidate wins, Trump 2.0,
0: or yeah, wins some the mainstream
1: guy, whichever one wins the primary, will not get the support of the other faction.
0: And they may even get lip service. You know, they may get support yeah. from the actual candidate. Yeah. But the, the actual people, those actual bases, the Trump faction and the anti-Trump faction, they're not going to get wholesale support.
1: In in elections where 2 or 3% means win or loss, how big these factions are doesn't matter that much in terms of the, the raw numbers. These factions don't have to be huge to make all the difference in the world in terms of whether Republicans can win the presidency in four years. And the answer is if, if this divide is still there in four years and there's no reason to think it'll disappear, in four years, Republicans are going to lose the election.
0: And that's going to be exacerbated by the fact that Biden is a very lukewarm Democrat. He is not a hardcore Democrat. And so it's going to be hard to unite those factions against a lukewarm opponent because that – the fact that he's lukewarm is actually going to make – he's not a good boogeyman. He's not a good enemy. He's not. He's not. Because you'll look back at those four years and unless he's incredibly successful – most likely, the changes he's going to make are not going to be extreme. You know, a lot of people are freaking out about gun control. Yes, if Biden went out and banned, you know, most assault weapons and and passed, you know, slew of anti-gun legislation, that would probably be something the GOP could rally behind. Yeah, the
1: Second Amendment.
0: But I just don't think Biden's going to pull that off because he is lukewarm. He just yeah. isn't passionate about these liberal ideals.
1: Yeah, and his majority is just so thin in Congress.
0: Exactly. And so he's going to be lukewarm. He's going to focus on COVID for the first couple of years of his presidency. That's going to be his focus. That's not going to be something. That's going to rally Republicans against him because the Republicans want COVID to end too. Things like stimulus are also incredibly hard to rally against because it's free money. And then four years from now, you're going to have this candidate who really isn't that bad, you know, in terms of what Republicans hate. And then you're going to have two factions who can't agree, who won't stand behind each other, and they're just not going to get the votes.
1: Right. No common enemy, no common cause.
0: And the Democrats will win the White House.
1: There's always the possibility that the Democratic Congress manages to pass something that really pushes Republicans together. They can say, we have our differences, but I will vote for whoever is selected in the primary and we'll fight this. There's also the possibility that you get some kind of external threat, a a serious threat from uh, Russia or the Middle East or from China or from North Korea or wherever wherever you could – find something and and make a credible case that it's a threat if there's a security issue republicans always do better they always do better because that's their that's one of their babies they always do better in the polls they always do better in the elections they could unite behind that but where is that on the horizon i I, i'm not seeing it i am not they, they could always happen there could always be some emergency some, something like COVID-19 that comes along and shapes an election yeah. can change it like COVID-19 did in this
0: one. It did one. in 2020 because it really
1: did. It really did. Without COVID-19, I, I, Biden loses. The odds of that are just low. It just doesn't happen very often. You don't get international wars very often, big scale things like And four years after that, so eight years from now, in the election after that, were Republicans going to be able to unite? Are they going to have learned? They're going to be like, oh, this is what's happened. We fractured. We didn't win last time. Are they going to make peace? Maybe. Maybe.
0: That's a big maybe. They can
1: hope. (laughs) They can hope. (laughs) If they haven't, they lose another election.
0: And really what that brings us to is the point. What we are proposing is that the party uses this time to reconsider what being a Republican means. Because the party is going to reform, but how it reforms is going to determine how powerful the Republican Party is for the next 30, 40, 50 years. You know, what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years is going to shape the Republican Party for a long time. If they do it poorly, the, the Republican Party could fracture altogether and you could get something completely right. different.
1: You could get, you get, a, could new get a new party steps because
0: steps Because that's how badly the Republican Party is fractured right now.
1: And people don't realize how disruptive Trump was to the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, regardless of how you feel about Trump personally, the fact of the matter is the GOP will never be the same. So in order for the GOP to become viable again, two things need to happen. The one thing that needs to happen is the fracture needs to be healed and the two separate camps need to be turned back into one camp. They need to be reunited. And the second thing that needs to happen is the Republicans have to expand their tent. They need to have new Republicans to make up for the attrition that's going to happen when those two fractured groups come back together. Because not everyone's going to come back together, no matter what you do. And so unless you do something to change what it means to be a Republican, the Republican Party will be significantly smaller than it used to be, and by definition, that party is simply not going to win. So how does that happen? What does that look like? Well, the first thing that has to happen is there has to be a bit of an image change in order to reunite the party. You need to have candidates who appeal to both sides and and those candidates are going to have to be an interesting breed. They're going to have to be candidates who are not anti-establishment but who are instead candidates who are running on issues who are transparent and sincere in a way that appeals to the pro-Trump faction while still being diplomatic, professional, which will appeal to the non-Trump faction. The other thing the GOP needs to do is not move towards the middle like the non-GOP faction wants to do, but rather move towards clear principles and policies. Because right now, if you look at what GOP policy is, like our actual GOP ideals that the conservative party says they believe in. Yeah, their platform and things, yeah. The platform, the GOP platform appears just to be taken straight out of the Democratic platform and just switching the do's to don'ts. You know, whatever the Democrats say they're (laughs) going to do, we won't do that. Whatever the Democrats won't do, we will do and that's just a really yeah, bad an way to in so make many ways. policy.
1: Yeah, it's it's part of the problems of of partisanship too. And the Democrats have this problem occasionally as well, but it's but they're they're looking to go somewhere. Republicans have always had this problem even worse in that they're the party of tradition in so many ways. They have a tendency to be more defined by what they're not than by what they are, by what they're resisting than by what they're actually trying to do.
0: Here's an example of what we're talking about. An issue where the Republicans always lose because they've decided to take a stance that's directly opposed to the Democrats instead of actually looking at the issue and seeing what the best policy would be. And that issue is the issue of poverty, the issue of people who are living who are struggling. And what do we do about these people? Right now, the Democrats, they say that we, they are the party that represents the people. The Democrats are the party of the people. They are the party of the 99%. Who cares. Yeah, exactly. They're the party that cares. And they say, okay, we've got these people who are getting screwed over by big businesses and that's the problem is that big business is screwing over these people it's the 1%. Right,
1: it's why you need unions in these uh, and welfare programs and job training and education opportunities, etc.
0: Exactly. We need we need minimum wage, we need some form of socialized medicine, we need government programs to increase employment. Um we need we need to improve the welfare system. Um things like uh, you know, things that that Biden talked about even recently is is free college education, free uh, making college more accessible, free daycare as as a right, things like that, that are all geared towards helping these people who are struggling, right? And then you have the rights policy. And the rights policy says we are pro-big business, and so anything we can do to favor the big businesses is good. You know, pro all business, but in practice that usually means big business. <laughs> and then we believe in in Reaganomics and we believe in trickle-down economics, which means that if we help those who are wealthy and we and we help them as much as we can and we help these businesses, those benefits are going to trickle down to those who are poor and those who are in poverty. And that's our solution. And on top of that, If you're wondering about the individual people who are struggling, well, the answer is they need to fix it. They need to better themselves. They need to go to college. They need to work hard. And then they'll be able to make more money and prosper. And those are the two sides as they stand right now. You've got the left who says government has to step in and help the poor. And then you've got the right who says it's really the poor person's responsibility. Let them better themselves.
1: The problem is both are right and both are wrong there. Democrats are right that there are systemic problems and that often people are suffering unnecessarily because of bad systems and bad policies. And Republicans are right that people need to take responsibility for their lives. When you say take responsibility for your life, as Republicans do, in the system as it is, without considering whether the system is just, Republicans have painted themselves in a corner by saying it's all personal responsibility you don't have to say it's all personal responsibility. You can say they need to take personal responsibility, but we should also consider whether the systems the policies and laws around these issues are just and whether or not we are giving unfair advantages to those in power, the corporations and their teams of lobbyists and lawyers. There's no question that in a negotiation, a group with a team of lawyers who knows the laws inside and out are going to have an advantage over somebody who can, who doesn't have very many other options and Republicans need to start taking that aspect into consideration, not give up the claim that personal responsibility and individual choice is ultimately the right way to view the world, but they can add to that a more nuanced approach, to the plight of people in these bad situations and say where is the system wrong where can we improve it because inevitably republicans end up defending the status quo as if the status quo is unmovable Mm -hmm. and inherently good and then say personal responsibility and there can be room for both there can be room to say look personal responsibility and we're going to improve the system in this way not only is that the right way to view the world (laughs) but that's But that's an easy shift, Mm -hmm. right? Republicans can do that really easily.
0: In episode four, we talk about capitalism and the system that we have now. And the problem is, is that conservatives believe that the system we have now is capitalism. And therefore, it's amazing and needs to stay the way it is. The reality is, and we talk about it in episode four, is first of all, we don't really like the word capitalism capitalism has so many associations with it that are unhelpful
1: yeah the term's just too vague in general it's...
0: when conservatives talk about capitalism what they're talking about is the market they want the market to be able to flourish and function and our current system does not do that what we have in reality is so far from a true market that calling it one simply makes no sense yeah so yes you know your argument makes sense when you say hey it's about personal responsibility and working hard. And if it were a market, that would be a hundred percent true, right? But the reality right. is, is that it's it's not that way. So looking at the system, as Dan says, is not just reasonable; it's the only just thing to do. If what you actually believe in is a market,
1: yeah, that and that's the weirdest part is that Republicans for years have been the party of of markets and personal responsibility, but they preach that in a world in which the law offers so many favors to people that have power and that have money.
0: Yeah. For example, we've discussed Walmart and competition before, and we've explained that there are some caveats as we've made those examples. Now we want to talk about some of those caveats because when Walmart is competing with another store, they are not competing in a true market. They are not on equal footing Not just because Walmart is bigger, but because of the protections that are in place that Walmart has gotten from governments. And those protections allow Walmart to compete in ways that other stores cannot. Almost every time a Walmart is opened up in an area, government grants those Walmarts tax breaks that they don't offer to any other business that opens up in that area because they want the Walmart there. And that shifts how competitive that Walmart is able to be. And that's just one example of how the government can twist things and take them away from being a free market. You know, Another, another example is regulations. The United States economy is buried in regulations and red tape that businesses have to maneuver through. There's so many different things you can do wrong that get you in trouble and so many things that you have to do before you can actually operate your business and things you have to do while you're operating your business. And all of these things make it incredibly difficult to operate a business. But the larger your business is, the easier it is to handle those obstacles. Because Walmart can have a team of 100 accountants and lawyers whose whole job it is to study those laws and to find ways to maneuver through them, which is not evil of Walmart. They're just doing what anyone would do to try and survive. Right? Just how you hire a tax accountant to do your taxes so that you can gain the most benefit from the legal system. Problem right. is, is that if I open a business that only has fifty employees, and I hire a hundred accountants and lawyers, best policies <laughs> for those fifty employees, it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It Maybe make I can sense. hire one maybe i can't hire any and so how am i going to compete with walmart in this world of regulation and it's not because walmart's evil i'm not saying walmart's not evil i'm just saying i'm just, i'd like to refer to walmart neutrally here i really don't hate walmart <laughs> and i don't love it it's it's just a natural result of the current system this is the world we live yeah. in this is how people are going to respond you know if amazon doesn't have to pay sales tax in the local areas it won't If you force them to, they will. It's just a natural result of how things are set up that they're going to try and get as much as they can.
1: Right. It's a predictable effect of complexity that you increase the complexity and the people that are more capable of navigating complexity, whether it be because they have more resources or because they're more intelligent, are going to benefit from that complexity. And Which is why like, if you you have a 70,000 page tax code like we do, you've automatically created a game where people with more resources win more. Because they can afford the cost of navigating the complexity in ways that the people who are relatively poor cannot.
0: Let me give you one more example to illustrate the point that I'm making. Back in the early 1900s, in the in the heyday of Ellis Island as a source of immigration, as these European immigrants were coming to New York City and other places, but let's talk about New York for now. These immigrants would come to New York with almost no resources, but a surprising amount of skills. Right? They would be coming. You know, And they had been, whatever profession they were in, they had been doing it for years where they lived in Europe. And so they come to New York, the land of opportunity here in, in America, and they open up small businesses pursuing whatever they were doing back in Europe and doing it incredibly well. And of course, it's difficult and there's all these complications to actually owning your own business. But what there wasn't was the huge amounts of red tape that exists now. And what that allowed them to do is it allowed an individual to operate a business out of their apartment, which by the way, in most cities is illegal now. You're not allowed to to do that.
1: Yeah. You couldn't even dream of doing yeah. that without getting fined in New York. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and to to run their business, they're not offering, you know, they're they're often actually having their kids work for them, which is illegal now and they're selling their products to people without any kind of FDA inspection or, you know, depending on the field, any other licensing, regulation, any of that, and they're able to compete with all these big businesses and soon outpace them. And many of those immigrant-started businesses are around today. But those businesses can't start right now. There's no place for that. If you're... An immigrant who comes to the United States, your option is to find a business that already employs people who have your skill set and work for them. And so doesn't that give that business not a full monopoly, but definitely some form of monopoly over other businesses because of the barrier to entry? Because it's harder to enter that field, therefore anyone who's already in that field has an advantage.
1: Yeah, in our secession discussion last week, we kind of uh, we addressed this. If you could leave at any moment and start your own competing business, and it were virtually effortless, right? Uh, obviously, running a business is difficult in itself. But to start it were easy. Think about what that would mean in negotiating with your employer. If at any moment, you and five other people from your business could walk out and start doing your own thing easily, that makes all the difference in the world. As it is, you cannot, in most cities, not only is it not easy, it's extremely hard, and it's a, and it's years of work to even begin that process because of red tape. That changes those negotiations. You have to learn to work within this game. Doing your own thing is not a realistic option.
0: Yeah, um, another area that, that hits hard is uh, licensing. You know, in order to practice in most fields, you have to have a license to practice it. And everyone's accepted that as kind of a reality. But the fact is, is that a license is a government granted monopoly, saying that only people who have this license are allowed to practice. And once again, that stops entrepreneurs from pursuing other options. And of course, people are, you know, they automatically jump to, uh, you know, to to full medical doctors. Do you want a full medical doctor to. (laughs) Do
1: you want your surgeon to just have walked in off the street?
0: But but licensing is so much more than that. In order to braid hair in Utah for the longest time, you had to have a license if you were doing it for money. And so you had people <laughs> who were doing these complex braids that people regularly want and need who wanted to practice out of their own home. And it was illegal and they were getting shut down, which forces them to go get a minimum wage job at Walmart because all their right. other options are being cut out.
1: Yeah, it's silly. They have the skills. They have people who want to pay them to use those skills. It'd make both of their lives better. And they can't do it because they didn't go to $10,000 worth of of haircutting school to get the government monopoly, even though they have the skills without going to the school, right? It's a a silly game where you're sending them through these loopholes. Um, There's actually a new bill on that subject. Did you hear about that? No, tell me about it. In Utah, they're... uh, trying to free more of the hairdressing professions. Yeah, so you can do more of it without actually having gone through a formal school. And if, and who, of course, is fighting that? Well, the schools are. The schools are fighting. They're saying this is absolutely essential that they give this training. Otherwise, you're going to run around with a bunch of people on your hair on fire or something like that. People think that licensure is a necessary aspect. Well, one of the ironies is that Democrats are always pointing to how they want our economy to be more like the Europeans, more like Sweden and Denmark and these these. Democratic socialist countries, if we want to take their licensure policies, I'm all for that. <laughs> they don't have this nonsense. It's way easier to start businesses. Places like Canada, people are like, oh, we want their universal healthcare. How about we take their licensing? <laughs> they don't have the madness that we have. <laughs> a lot of, There are a lot of places that are way better in many of these economic ways than we are that people think are straight socialist. It's kind of ironic that if you, look at, you start to look at this issue internationally, we seem primitive. We seem silly because we're in an extreme on this, on, on licensing.
0: You know, I feel silly when I think about it.
1: <laughs> well, we should. We should. When you get down to it, it's uh, in so many levels, it's it's absurd.
0: And and by the way, when I'm talking about the hairdressing, that's a very real issue in Utah that is very much alive and being debated. And I know someone personally who was you know running an illegal business in their home and she was doing people's hair. Like that's... That's the world we live in where that person is 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 a criminal, you know, is is running an illegal organization just like your local drug dealer. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And licensure we'll address licensure at length one of these days and give you give you more details.
0: And the reason we're talking about all of this is because the GOP can use this to come out as the party who truly does care about those who are in poverty and propose real and meaningful changes that can be made to the current system yeah. to try and free up those people in poverty and give them as many opportunities as possible.
1: Yeah, There are way too many immigrants who have skills that they're not using because of licensing problems, because they couldn't get a job at the, the local business, because they're, maybe they're illegal immigrants or something like that, who things like changing licensure would help. It would move us more towards a market, which Republicans claim to want. It's always been one of their principles. It would almost exclusively benefit the poor.
0: And so that's something where as you make these changes, you're going to do a couple of things. You know, you're going to, number one, have clear issues that the Republican Party can get behind that aren't about Trump or anti-Trump. And what they're going to do is they're going to widen the Republican tent immensely, Because you're going to have a whole group of people who are going to feel like they're actually being listened to by the Republican Party. The Republican Party takes a lot of arbitrary stands that alienate a lot of people who they don't need to alienate. There's no reason for it. The Republican tent can be a lot wider than it currently is. There's no reason to just systematically oppose every Democratic issue
1: right and to protect the things the democrats are attacking as if those things are ha- sacred as yeah, if they exactly. do represent republican principles when they when they actually don't if you actually look at them
0: you know we've already talked about immigration and changes that republicans could make even if they didn't go so far as to do open immigration but even serious immigration reform is something that republicans could do that most republicans would agree with and would widen the tent, criminal justice reform. Obviously, Republicans have always had a long-standing policy of being anti-crime, but criminal justice reform is not about allowing criminals to walk free. Criminal justice reform is about changing how the criminal justice system works because right now it's broken. And anyone who looks at it can tell you that it's broken. And it's one of those changes that just make sense. I mean, you know, in the last 4 years it's one of the things that Trump did take a stand on saying we should change criminal justice. And the Republican Party wasn't like, oh, that's insane because it's really not.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another area is foreign policy, trying to decrease the amount of intervention we're doing and be more of a non-intervention policy has proven to be surprisingly popular. Right. That could really open up the Republican Party as well.
1: Right. And Trump wasn't even like, he wasn't even playing the card as well as he could, right? He could have claimed to be the most non-interventionist president that we've had in decades in terms of foreign wars. If you don't want to be involved in foreign wars, Trump happens to be the best president we've had. It, it's funny because I was listening to uh, I was ta- listening to some Republicans talking about how they were worried that Biden would be too weak in foreign policy in terms of like that he wouldn't oppose strongly other groups, <laughs> and they were they were big fans of Trump and they seemed unaware of the fact that Trump has quietly reduced our military involvement in so many places
0: a couple other areas federal budget reform you know it's something that both parties say they want but have been pushing off for a long time and as the budget gets more and more out of control it's something that people are going to want more and more to rein this in before the whole house of cards comes collapsing down we already talked about market reforms actually making it a true market is something that a lot of people are going to get behind, especially when you focus on your branding and messaging, explaining to people the benefits and and why the Republican Party is doing these things. For so long, the Democrats have been the party that cares, and the Republicans have been the party that says, take care of it yourself. That doesn't need to be the branding and messaging of the Republican Party. There's no need for
1: it. Right. You can say, let us help you take care of the problem." by removing all these things that are in your way by reducing the power of of the major businesses and players these are things that are right in line with republican principles that would benefit the poor more than any other group and yet republicans have never been able to play this card they've never been able to they've they've never pushed that direction they should
0: the other issue we think that most republicans if not republican leaders but almost all republicans get behind is the idea of federalism. Stop having the federal government decide each and every issue and bring it back to the states. That's an idea that Republicans can get behind. And if messaged properly, a lot more than just the current Republicans can get behind and could be an incredibly effective tool that the Republicans
1: use. As we said, some political losses are are inevitable, I think, for the Republican Party. I don't think they get to. Have this. They don't get to split this way, and then also, and somehow, peacefully, magically, get back together. Yeah, things are going to be rough for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so, we want to talk about how you actually get from where we are now—this fractured, split party that doesn't talk about issues—they talk about personalities and styles and flavors of rhetoric—and get from there to a party that's actually talking about issues that has a few principles that they are willing to defend on every front, and that can message those principles in a way that shows how they're going to help the people that the Republicans could bring into the tent. That's no simple feat. <laughs> At that point we're talking, you know, practical practical messaging and and political tactics. I think these issues are compelling and could be compelling if people understood them. And discuss and could discuss that. And that would be the first step.
0: Right now, in most conversations that people are having on an individual basis, the conversation is about the rhetoric, is about names, it's about Trump and not Trump, and it's not about the issues. You know, yeah. Republicans should be talking about the fact that Joe Biden, in his first day in office, is passing executive orders and is working towards immigration reform and as Republicans, we should be like, yeah, that's about time that there's some immigration reform because how the current system is set up is whack. Wait a second. Why aren't our candidates proposing immigration reform? Why aren't our candidates doing something about how messed up the current system is and start pushing for that instead of getting caught up in the meaningless rhetoric?
1: Yeah. And for a detailed discussion, please see our immigration episode. There's there's so many things about it that are that are crazy. And we can do that. We can change the conversations. And as we change the conversations, the place to focus your attention on for the next four to eight years, if you're a Republican, is not what is Joe Biden doing. Please do not spend all your time there. Unfortunately, that is where most national Republican news is going to look. And that's where they're going to try and draw unity for the Republican Party from. They're going to try and paint a common enemy in Joe Biden as this super evil dictator imposing on them. <laughs> you want to you spend your time in a valuable way instead of just being frustrated? Start looking at local elections, state and local elections. The people that are elected there are going to be the next generation of people at the U.S. Capitol. You're going to build the party from that yeah. level.
0: The GOP is going to be shaped by those local and state elections your state congressional makeup is going to be the next national congressional makeup of the GOP. And that national congressional makeup is going to be what shapes the party going forward. And so those candidates, especially, especially looking at primaries, don't just look at the actual elections where it's a Republican versus the Democrat, because by that point, The decision for where the Republican Party is going has already been made. Look at the Republican primaries where you have four or five Republican candidates and find the one who's not talking about the rhetoric, especially (laughs) in those local elections, because you can actually talk to those candidates and those candidates will listen to you. And you can go up to those candidates and say, hey- how do you feel about immigration reform? How do you feel about making some, some changes in the market here in the state of Utah or here in the state of Texas or here in the state of, of North Dakota to actually make our state a true market instead of these r- regulations and then point to specific regulations that are anti-market and get actual answers? And you can actually affect change.
1: Yeah, you can you can do what we're proposing needs to be done at the national level on the local level. And that is what will do it at the national level in the long run. And that's the game you need to be playing. Don't. It's so easy to get caught up in the short run of what's the next big political news cycle, right? Which is why we've taken a step back here. We could be telling you about Biden's 17 executive orders or however many there were. It'd be a waste of your time in almost every case. Look bigger. Start setting the conversation yourself. Start getting involved in places where you can make a difference. Start considering how the Republican Party can better live its principles. If, you, you know, if you, you're Republican and you like the principles, understand them better. Look into them. See how this works. Consider not just what the Democrats are doing, but how you can apply those principles to improve things. And these are all issues. The ones we mentioned are issues we think that that's not just possible, but easy, relatively clear if, if you consider them.
0: There are some issues here that if a candidate who was intelligent, well-spoken, and at least a little bit charismatic, took those issues and ran with them, they would get the most amazing groundswell support you've ever seen because so (laughs) many people agree with them.
1: Right. And you draw, Republicans would finally start drawing the racial minorities that they should. There are so many, so many minorities who are convinced Republicans don't care about them cuz they're never looking at the system that's harming them.
0: That's what will change the GOP is those small those small changes. There is no big magic wand that you can wave to put this thing back together to make this party better. It has to happen over time and it's going to happen. On the local and state levels, whether or not you get involved, that's where it's going to happen. So the question is, is it going to happen like this, like we're proposing, and we get a new and better GOP, or is it going to happen and have a new and worse GOP or a GOP (laughs) that fractures and is ineffective for the next 20 years? Because those are your alternatives, and no one wants that. Well, except for right. the liberals, but
1: Well, and well, even they shouldn't want it, right? What they what you really want in the United States, if you're if you're a liberal and you're listening to this, you what you what you really need is a competent, clear Republican party that opposes you and can help show you what you're not looking at. That can help you understand your own ideas better. You benefit from good opposition. And the United States benefits from two parties that can function ideally more in my opinion, but but at least, you know, you want you want opposition to the ideas so that you can learn. This benefits everybody in the long run to have a better conversation.
0: Yeah. And that's an excellent point, Dan, because as you have a GOP that is appealing to more people and doing things that are actually going to benefit more people, even if you're not a member of the Republican Party, it's going to be hard to say no to that because it's, Who doesn't want things to be better for most people? As both parties seek to be based on principles and are acting to widen their tent, I think that's only going to be beneficial and it's also going to help bridge the divide between the Republican and Democratic parties so that going forward they are able to have reasonable discussions about issues and not get caught up in rhetoric, name-calling, and finding enemies to rally against.
1: With that, thank you for listening.
0: This has been episode 27 of Rethinking Politics. We'll be posting an episode every week. If you want more information, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We've also got our podcast on almost every single major podcast app. You can find us on our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com. And there you've got a link to our Patreon account where you can support us. If you have any questions, you're welcome to message us on any of those apps. Or you can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.